Some people call me the space cowboy. Yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Some people call me Maurice. Because I speak of the pompatists of love. People talk about me, baby. I'm doing you wrong, doing you wrong Well, don't you worry, baby, don't worry Cause I'm right here, right here, right here, right here at home Cause I'm a picker, I'm a grinner I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner I play my music in the sun I'm a joker Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill. This is episode number 149. And uh, for the last time, we're going back to the Patreon archives to uh, take a look at a spicier story from comics history. Now this week, we're going to be taking a look at the collected... Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers here uh, from Ripoff Press back in 1971. Um, and I got some good news. Uh, this one is not nearly as uh, uh, <laughs> as spicy and uh, well, gross as the previous three episodes have been. This one uh, still covers some, you know, mature themes. Uh, a lot of drugs in this one, but uh, nothing as uh, icky as uh, Cherry in Omaha and... Uh, the gangbang. So uh, this is uh, less of a listener discretion sort of thing, and just, uh, you know, hey, listen if you want to. <laughs> and uh, uh, one thing about uh, what we've got coming up, um, since this is the second-to-last episode, that only leaves us with the last episode. And uh, I'm planning on having that out uh, one week from today. So that would be uh, September 13th, September 14th, whatever the Sunday is. Um, the thing of it is, is I haven't been able to touch base with everyone who wants to be a part of the show just yet. So, uh, since I want to only do this once and I want to do it right, um, if I'm unable to get a hold of everybody or connect with everybody, I might push it off, uh, just, uh, maybe a week or so, just to make sure everyone who wants to be part of it, uh, can be part of it. Because uh, uh, when this is done, it, it's done. Uh, we're, we're closing the door behind it. So uh, we won't be, there won't be a Cosmic Treadmill episode 151. So this will be it. And as such, I'd like to make sure I do it uh, the proper service um, by just doing it right. And uh, letting everybody who wants to say a few words get the opportunity to do so. Now... If you've been on the fence about doing that, very same thing, just uh, reach out. Uh, it's uh, Ace Comics on Twitter or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see what we can work out uh, before, you know, before I before I hit stop on that final recording. Um, I want to thank everyone for, you know, hanging out with uh, these, these odd episodes. Um, the, you know, the 13 weeks of uh, comics talk that we, uh, that I brought over and... And these last four episodes of the Cosmic Treadmill After Dark uh, really means the world to me that uh, folks will keep this little show in their uh, memories and thoughts and uh, and in their listening rotation. So uh, that really means a lot. Uh, 
I think that's all I've got this week. Um, Till next time, uh, I hope you enjoy uh, the fabulous furry freak brothers. And uh, anybody who wants to reach out, I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill After Dark, episode number five, where we go to the back Back of the the store store. and read the comic books that uh, you probably shouldn't read. The ones your mom warned you about. Your mom definitely warned you not to read those. Or not my mom, actually, but better (laughs) Better moms did. Uh, This, of course, is a patron-exclusive show, so thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, Absolutely. For the month of February, right? That we're in? Sure. Still February. That's where we is. And uh, (laughs) this time we're actually, you know, Chris, you don't even know this, but remember, you know, you know my story that one of the first saddle stapled comics I ever read was Zap Comics, a reprint of Zap. I think it was number two or one. Mm -hmm. Uh, This may have been like in the. The next five, like the the, the, okay. the, the reprint of this, uh, I read these things way too early, folks. So this this is a, a, <laughs> a personal uh, love of mine. It's the Collected Adventures of the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, number one. This one, uh, 1971, was the first printing by Gilbert Shelton, published by Ripoff Press, and the cover price back then was fifty cents, mm-hmm. which actually would have been quite a quite a dollar, right? Comics were twelve. Uh, so, in 71, they were by about 15, yeah. They were 15, so 15 think about cents, that. yeah. So anyway, of course, like we do, luckily there's only one bio to do since he wrote and drew everything. Uh, Gilbert Shelton was born May 31st, 1940 in Houston, Texas. His parents wouldn't let him read superhero comics, so he turned to other comics for inspiration. He said, I could only have animal comics and Little Lulu, but Donald Duck and Little Lulu are great stuff. Then when Mad Comics came along in 1952, this was really a revolutionary thing. At recess time in junior high school, dozens of us would gather around if someone had brought a new Mad Comic to school and read it till the bell rang. He graduated from Lamar High School in Houston, and uh, while he was in high school, Shelton invented a mascot, Potty, and spread the name locally. He said... I mounted an anti-advertising campaign in my neighborhood in Houston. I defaced billboards with my character, Potty. Potty rules the world was my slogan. I kept it up until the billboard company was no longer able to sell these billboards, and they all fell blank. So I had a much larger canvas. Hmm. Now, Gilbert attended uh, Washington and Lee University in Virginia. At that time, it was an all-male school. Uh, He went, he uh, got a scholarship there. Uh, the following year, Shelton returned to Texas and attended Texas A&M University and the University of Texas at Austin, where he received his bachelor's degree in the social sciences. This was in 1961. While at UT of Austin, he met Frank Stack, then editing the school's humor magazine called The Texas Ranger. Now, The Texas Ranger began as a student humor magazine in the fall of 1923. 
on the University of Texas campus in Austin. Frank Stack became editor of the Ranger for the 1958-1959 school year and published Gilbert Shelton's first cartoons in the magazine in 1959 when he was a sophomore. Directly after graduation, Shelton moved to New York City and got a job editing automotive magazines where he would sneak his drawings into print. The idea for the character of Wonder Warthog came to him during this year in New York. In 1962, Shelton moved back to Texas to enroll in graduate school at the University of Texas and uh, get a student deferment from the draft. Yeah, that was helpful, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Now, the first two Wonder Warthog stories appeared in Bacchanal. That's an off-campus college humor magazine. This was in the spring of 1962. Uh, Bacchanal would last for only two issues. That same year, he published Foolbert Sturgeon's The Adventures of Jesus, uh, one of the first underground comics. Foolbert Sturgeon was really Frank Stack using a pseudonym in order to be critical of America's Bible Belt. Gilbert then became editor of the Texas Ranger in 1962 and published more Wonder Warthog stories. He said, I guess I was the only one qualified. It paid $100 a month. I was supposed to be studying social sciences, but my real education was a humor magazine. It was hard work, but I learned a lot about humor magazines. In those days, it was everybody's ambition to have a national humor magazine. This didn't happen until years later with National Lampoon. After switching from graduate school to art school, where he befriended singer Janis Joplin, uh, for two years, Gilbert was finally drafted. However, he was declared medically unfit because he admitted to taking psychedelic drugs, which was you could do in the early. That's all it took. The yeah. early <laughs> part of the draft. By the later in the draft, that was not didn't quite cut it anymore. No. In 1964, 1965, he spent some time in Cleveland, where his friend, girlfriend Pat Brown, another UT alumni, uh, was going to the Cleveland Institute of Art. He applied for a job at the Cleveland-based American Greeting Card Company. That was where Robert Crumb had worked, but he was turned down. Between 1965 and 1967, Gilbert moved to New York and uh, to work for the underground East Village Other, and then uh, then over to Los Angeles to work for the Los Angeles Free Press. While in New York, Gilbert's work was printed in Warren Publishing's humor magazine, Help, edited by one of Gilbert's idols, Harvey Kurtzman. Gilbert says of this, he published some of my gag cartoons from the University of Texas magazine and finally led me to write and draw nude Wonder Warthog stories for help, which, which I did a few of before help went bankrupt. When I started, Gloria Steinem was the assistant editor of help. Then Terry Gilliam was his assistant. Uh, then Terry decided to go to England. When Robert Crumb was supposed to be next, and when he reported to work, there was a dejected-looking Harvey Kurtzman because help had gone bankrupt. Yeah, the day he showed up, he was the like, sorry, day. we're done. <laughs> <laughs> now, around this time, Shelton became art director for the uh, Vulcan Gas Company. This is a rock music venue in Austin, Texas. He created a number of posters in the style of contemporary California poster artists, such as Victor Mascasso and Rick Griffin. After a year of doing this, Shelton moved to San Francisco in 1968, as all underground cartoonists had to do, apparently. (laughs) Now, he hoped being closer to the music scene would give him more opportunities to create posters. Yeah, if you didn't get to San Francisco by 71, you couldn't You were do, done. You yeah. weren't allowed to do comics. That was it. That was your cutoff. Uh, that same year, in 68, Millar Publisher Company, the publishing company who had been publishing regular Wonder Warthog stories since 1966, published two issues of Wonder Warthog. 140,000 copies of each were printed, but distributors did not pick up the magazine, and only 40,000 of each were sold. In June 1963, Miller founded Drag Cartoons under the Miller Publishing Company label. Gilbert says, I contributed Wonder Warthog Adventures for a couple of years, and then Miller 
published a couple issues of Wonder Warthog Quarterly, which bankrupted him. He had to swallow his pride and go to work for Peterson, which was an automotive magazine publisher in Southern California. So, in 1968, Shelton self-published Feds and Heads, a collection of strips first published in the Austin underground paper The Rag. Feds and Heads featured Wonder Warthog and what became his most famous strip, The Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. He repurposed a lot of his strips from that uh, the Miller Publishing thing. Mm-hmm. And some of those, a couple of those actually show up in what we're going to read today. Sure. Uh, Shelton came up with the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers, three drug-addled hippies having misadventures just before moving to San Francisco for the first time. He was inspired by a double feature of the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges. Gilbert said, I thought I could do something like that, so I tried to do a little film. The first Freak Brothers strip was actually an advertisement for this film, but everyone liked the strip so much I gave up my ambition to be a filmmaker. Fat Freddy's Cat was inspired by Cicero's Cat, a small strip at the bottom of Mutt and Jeff by Bud Fisher. It was in the Sunday papers. Shelton created a spin-off strip uh, just for Fat Freddy's Cat in 1969 when he also co-founded Ripoff Press with three fellow expatriate Texans. We got Fred Todd, Dave Moriarty, and cartoonist Jack Jackson. Gilbert says, Fred was Ripoff Press. He took care of the business. The four of us chipped in $75 a piece and bought a printing press. Unfortunately, no one knew how to work the printing press. <laughs> uh, Dave Moriarty eventually figured out how to do it. We were going to print out block posters and beautiful stuff like Mascasso's and Bob Fried's or Freed's. For sure. He, much sure. One of those. <laughs> he continues, uh, Jackson was supposed to be the accountant. He had a college degree, but I never saw him do anything but work on his own comic strips. We published several of Crumb's early comics, uh, Motor City Comics, Big Ass Comics, Robert Crumb's Comics and Stories, but he didn't hang out with the cartoonists so much. He kind of kept to himself. And uh, this press was located in a loft over an old opera house. Uh, Shelton was also a regular contributor to Zap Comics and other underground titles, which included The Bijou Funnies, Yellow Dog, Arcade, The Ripoff Review of Western Culture, and Anarchy Comics. Gilbert did the cover for the 1973 album Doug, Sam, and Band, as well as the Grateful Dead's 1978-1978 album Shakedown Street. He illustrated the cover of the early classic computer magazine compilation The Best of Creative Computing, Volume 2, in 1977. More recently, in collaboration with French cartoonist Peak, is Not Quite Dead, which appeared in Ripoff Comics number 25, that was Ripoff Press, uh, winter 1989 cover date, and in six Not Quite Dead comic books. A new Wonder Warthog story appeared in Zap Comics number 15, that was Last Gap, Gasp 2005 published, as well as the complete Zap box set. That came out by Fantagraphics in 2014, which contained Zap number 16. A new Fabulous Free Freak Brothers story appeared in Zap number 16 as well. That is the quote-unquote final issue. Although for a... Uh, a sporadic... For such a sporadic <laughs> thing, I don't know if you could ever say it's, uh, it's that final. Uh, Shelton and his wife moved to France in 1984. It was actually an accident. Shelton and his wife had come to France for a comic book signing tour, and while they were there, the charter airline they'd hired went bankrupt. Oh, so they were stranded. They, they, <laughs> they liked it, so they stayed. Uh, Gilbert Shelton was inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame at the San Diego Comic-Con in 2012. 
Now let's talk a little bit about uh, his company or the company he helped co-found with uh, Ripoff Press here. Now they were founded in 1969 by Fred Todd, Dave Moriarty, Gilbert Shelton, Jack Jackson. Uh, they're all cartoonist friends from Texas, as we mentioned. Uh, it was more a, a cartoonist collective or studio in a sense, uh, in response to the non-artist-run underground comics publishers that had sprung up overnight, such as Apex Novelties, Print, Mint, and Company and Sons. The initial plan was to print rock concert posters primarily and then do underground comics on the side. They purchased that printing press and set it up in the same space as Apex Novelties. This is in the third floor, third floor ballroom of what had been Maori's Opera House. The first comics Ripoff Press published included R. Crumb's Big Ass Comics. That was June 1969. Uh, and a reprint of uh, Jack Jackson's God Knows. That was originally published in 1964, reprinted July 1969. Jackson's Happy Endings Comics. That was August 69. And the first issue of Fred Schreier and Dave Sheridan's Mother Oats Comics. That was October of 69. Now, these guys would also print the first public edition of Principia Discordia, that's a book that's not a comic, but should be read by anybody strange. Yeah, that's just an added little uh, tidbit by me. <laughs> now, after a fire almost destroyed the Opera House in late 1969, Ripoff moved to the decaying former headquarters of the Family Dog Psychedelic Rock Music Promotion Collective. That's a lot of words. Uh, now, <laughs> this collective, uh, Jack Jackson, had been a member of since 1966. Uh, by 1972, Ripoff Press abandoned its poster printing side of the business and then became full-time publishing house, doubtlessly thanks in part to the sales of the comic that we are just about to read right now. That's right. It is The Collected Adventures of the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers Number 1. And just to make this clear, this is a collection of all of the Freak Brothers comics that yes. existed to this point. I'm pretty sure it's pretty complete. Like I say, it takes from all those other sources that we mentioned going over Gilbert Shelton's uh, life. I think there were two other issues uh, that happened after this, but of the collections of the collections, so maybe yeah. at least one more, if not a third. But uh, so there's more to read if you want to. But anyway, the cover depicts the titular Freak Brothers. That would be Fat Freddy, who is fat with a blonde afro. Phineas, who is sort of a, a very shaggy guy with spectacles and a nose that looks like um, a poop. And uh, Free Will and Franklin, he's the guy from Texas that wears a vest and a, uh, a, a cowboy hat all the time. They're mm -hmm. running through a back alley from a group of police officers with their arms and nightsticks held high. Franklin carries a hookah, and while they run, the three freaks are puffing away at it. Freddy even makes a toot-toot sound. He's carrying a box labeled Dope. Uh, there's a lot of attention to detail in the squalid black alleyway, I gotta say. Uh, we're betting Shelton was intimately familiar with some of them along his life. Probably. <laughs> now, uh, we got the first one here is Further Adventures of Those Fabulous Furry Freak Bros. Now, this one-off comic on the inside cover starts with several panels of the Freak Brothers getting blissfully stoned. Once they run out of pot, Freddy begins to freak out. Franklin suggests that they go rob a little old lady for money. But she turns the tables on the trio and kills them. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out that this is an anti-drug movie in which the Freak, Freak Brothers agreed to appear, and they managed to get paid $2,000 for it. <laughs> Quite a bit of money, actually, especially sure. in uh, 1968 or whatever this Something, was. Something, yeah. So we go to the next story right away. The Freaks pull a heist. The opening splash page is like one from a Silver Age comic, revealing a scene that happens later in the issue, although actually it doesn't really. But uh, the Freak Brothers are standing outside of a bank. Each one is poorly disguised. Yeah, Franklin is trying to shove Phineas and Fat Freddy into the bank, but Phineas has been distracted. Franklin says, come on, you can't quit now. 
The bank's just next door. Phineas goes, no, wait. I'm going to rob this candy store first. And Fat Ferdy says, hey, I know what to do. I've never been inside a bank before. Our story begins in the lush digs of the famous hirsute trio. Phineas has his hand in a jar labeled sugar. Looks like we're out of money again. Well, that's all right. We have plenty of grass. And as we all know, dope will get you through times of no money. Better than money will get you through times of no dope. That is sage wisdom of, right. of, the, of the hippie. There's a poster uh, you can buy with that by the uh, right there. Now, from a large bag labeled dope, Franklin pours a little bit into the bowl of a hookah. The brothers each suck from a tube and their minds are instantly blown. The mind blowing even makes noises. Clang, honk, tweet. Now that's a that's a blown mind, I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. The Freak Brothers go, go through some changes, levitating, then kind of bounding out of reality before a flash of light courses through their minds. Eventually, they're lying on the floor, stoned. Pretty good stuff you have there, brother. Now, if it was really good, they'd be brain dead, but, you know, mm-hmm. it it's wasn't that good. good. Kind of yeah. good, yeah. <laughs> now, Fat Freddy gets up, and he walks into the kitchen. Well, I sure am hungry all of a sudden for some reason. And unfortunately, the refrigerator contains only one apple core and an empty bottle of beer. In the next room, Phineas and Franklin snap to attention. I just realized we're out of food and we're out of money, too. I'm hungry. I want a pizza. I want a TV enchilada dinner and a six pack of beer. I want a sack of fried pork rinds. He's certainly not picky. (laughs) No, I want a big plate of spaghetti with garlic sauce. No, wait, make that two double cheeseburgers with mayonnaise and root beer malt. It's the hunger craze food attic. (laughs) I'm not really sure all that qualifies as food. Uh, Not sure. Double cheeseburgers with mayonnaise, that's just a a heart attack right there. That's that's a (laughs) sin. Uh, Now, Fat Freddy has thrown himself on the ground, and he's having a very violent tantrum. I must have a candy bar and a bag of donuts and a giant soda pop and a big jar of dill pickles. He's having withdrawal symptoms. Nor is pregnant. Um, now, Fat Freddy leaps up from the floor and seizes Phineas by his shoulders. A package of barbecue potato chips, a quart of lemonade, a slice of watermelon, a loaf of raisin bread, a bowl of rice. Give me something to eat. He can't. He's becoming violent. And Fat Freddy falls to the ground and begins to convulse. Screeble, honk, flap, tweet, gibber, rath, boot. Out of sight. He's gone veritably berserk. Fat Freddy starts stalking around and drooling. Kill, 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 kill. Eat, 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 eat. Kill, eat, eat, kill. Uh Uh-oh, he's got the butcher knife. If only we could do something instead of just stand by and provide commentary. Right? Hmm. Now, uh, Fat Freddy, now a slavering murderer, chases Franklin and Phineas with his knife raised. They run away out of their shared apartment and into the night. Luckily, the two slim gentlemen have a good lead on the corpulent one. We'll be eaten alive unless we think of something. Quit. Head for the all-night grocery. Quit. 
Give me your shirt and vest. I have to look respectable. While still running, Phineas pulls off his shirt and vest. Quick! He's only about a block behind us! Phineas and Franklin make it to the all-night grocery store, and Franklin tucks his long hair under his wide-brim hat before entering. The place is staffed by one guy, a Don Martin character chairs, pretty much, and uh, <laughs> wearing one of those paper hats and a bow tie. Very classic ice cream shop look he has. Mm-hmm, he does. <gasps> uh, Franklin strolls in and addresses the cashier. <sighs> hey, mister. Yes, sir? I'm Groucho Marx Jr. You've no doubt heard of Candid Camera on TV. Groucho Marx? Candy Camera? Sure. Well, yeah. You know, those scenes that we show on television like we lead people to believe? Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, we don't exactly tell people what we're going to do, you understand. We just give them a little forewarning that something is about to happen so they won't panic. Oh? As a matter of fact, our hidden camera is going to start filming something right here immediately. The shop clerk is very excited by this. Here? Wow! Don't fork it up! With that, Fat Freddy comes smashing into the store window with a crash. Butcher knife also raised over his head, by the way. Uh, it actually looks more like an axe, uh, if, we're, if we're telling the truth. Yeah, it's even got kind of a red bag, like a cartoon axe or something. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Uh, Freddy <laughs> says, Fat Freddy proceeds to hack away at and or eat nearly every single item in this here convenience store. The guy on the night shift just watches, wide-eyed and stunned. Fat Freddy is eventually sated, lets out a huge belch, and passes out. Franklin and Phineas come running into the store at this point, and Phineas is wearing a paper bag over his head, and he's shirtless. (laughs) The two of them pile a bunch of food on Fat Freddy's stomach, and then Franklin grabs Fat Freddy's arms, Phineas grabs his legs, and they walk on out of the store. Fat Freddy and the stolen food between them. The clerk stands behind the register and just watches all this happen, and minutes later he finally says... (laughs) Hey, Mr. Marx, you finished your filming yet? Back at home, flush with food, the Freak Brothers settle back into their routine. And speaking of flush, Fat Freddy can be seen in the background, stuck headfirst into the toilet with his legs swinging wildly. Franklin says, <laughs> that calls for another little hit. This time I'll leave out the cocaine. Yes, but please leave in the drug that turns people into bloodthirsty, axe-wielding maniacs. I had that in the young ones that time. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> Vivian's head through the wall. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our next story is those lovable furry freak brothers. Here we got Phineas and Franklin telling Fat Freddy to go forth with their last $60 and go score some weed. This is their rent money. Right. Uh, because Free Will and Franklin reminds us, dope will get you through those times of no money, etc., etc., etc. Franklin also tells Fat Freddy not to get burned like you did last week. Fat Freddy comes back quickly with a brown paper bag, and it contains one giant marijuana seed. After the Freak Brothers beat the snot out of each other for a panel, Phineas decides, hey, let's plant this magic seed. And what do you know, it immediately sprouts, and within moments it grows into a monumental height, 300 feet tall. Phineas scales the tree and announces that Fat Freddy did, in fact, get burned again. The tremendous cannabis plant is a male. Uh, Incidentally, the male variant of the cannabis plant is only used to breed more plants. Does not have any psychoactive or medicinal properties itself. So that's that's why that's a joke. You said that's 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 the punchline. (laughs) Uh, Now there are a uh, 
lot of uh, one-page comics in this that are, are really untitled. They just have the logo. So uh, we took the liberty to kind of give them little titles. This one is Untitled Freak Brothers Vehicle Hijinks. And uh, it's Fat Freddy begins sitting on the floor of the apartment playing with a slot car racing track. This gives Phineas the idea to hook up Free Will and Franklin's car, actual car, the same way. Later, he and Fat Freddy are manipulating the car from the roof of the building, and they have a blow-up Mickey Mouse doll in the driver's seat to make things look official, right? That there's a driver yeah. there. So Fat Freddy accidentally smashes the car into front of a bank, and the Beagle Boys from Walt Disney's comics and cartoons, they see this and then take the opportunity to rob the bank. The next day, two anthropomorphic ducks read about the heist in the Duckburg Times, and Phineas and Fat Freddy go on the lam. This I always love this one. Like, when did this place turn into Duckburg all of a sudden? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next one is the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers go to college. Here, the Freak Brothers are lounging around in their apartment as usual when there's a news flash over the radio. News flash: Long-haired student radicals on rampage at State University. Far out, unbathed leftists present a list of 20 ridiculous demands. President of the college called the demand silly and told the protesters to get haircuts and baths. Fork that spit, man! This insignificant minority of students has somehow taken possession of the whole campus. I'm gonna show them bourgeois campus radicals just what revolution's all about! Police officers have been called insulting names. You're going over there. I didn't know you were political. Well, better leave your stash here. Oh, yeah. Fat Freddy pulls out his pockets, dumps out his shoes, and picks up his shirt, and a pile of drugs nearly coming to his knees comes out of this endeavor. Yeah, very Tex Avery cartoon right there. For sure. True revolutionary shun drugs. Fat Freddy arrives on campus waving a peace sign with a... With a beatific, what's that word there? Yeah, beatific, you never heard of that? Kind of like <laughs> no. smiling, broadly okay. smiling happy, yeah. There he is, he's got one of those expressions on his face. <laughs> uh, now there are a few people standing around with picket signs and a banner that reads, Student Power hangs outside some windows. Up the revolution! Yeehaw! Today the campus, tomorrow the nation! People seem mostly confused by Fat Friday's arrival. Just looking at it with question marks like, what? Yeah. Uh, where the hell's the library? Fat Freddy approaches a student that looks curiously like a young Woody Allen. Viva la revolution, comrade! Uh, where's the library? You, you, you don't know? It's, it's right over there. <laughs> the library is right nearby, and Fat Freddy bounds up the steps and crashes through the front door. He finds students inside taking books off the shelves and placing them in stacks on the floor. What are you doing? We're taking all the books off the shelves and putting them on the floor. It's a revolutionary disruptive tactic. Oh, I'll help you. Fat Freddy runs around the library with a grin, clearly looking for something. But after going down several aisles, he doesn't find whatever that was. Hey, where are the fork books? Fat Freddy walks over to the office of the head librarian, and he kicks the door of the office open and then announces, I hereby liberate the fork books in the name of the revolution. Where are they hidden? The head librarian is a very large, severe-looking woman, uh, tightly packed into a wool suit, her hair pulled back into a bun, and thick rimmed glasses on her face. So, uh, you know, she's the stereotypical librarian. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. What did you say, young man? At this point, Fat Freddy has changed his tune. Uh, where are the fork books hidden, ma'am? 
The librarian steps in closely to Fat Freddy and puts an end to all of this tomfoolery. My dear sir, the library of the State University does not contain any fork books. As a matter of fact, the State University will never contain any fork books. Now, get out! Fat Freddy takes off in a hurry. And take your communist pervert friends with you! Fat Freddy runs past the other student protesters, still stacking books on the ground. Yeah, one balding guy says, Wow, I wonder what that guy saw in there. Student with the afro goes, Maybe the pigs are coming. And word gets around campus fast. Yes, a student with a beard goes, Did you hear that? The cops are here. A big boob student says, I'll bet they have their shotguns and tear gas. Not listed in order of dangerousness, clearly. No, not really. <laughs> a tweaked out student goes, the, the police and the National Guard are storming the campus. And an even bigger boob student, a bigger boob student says, With tanks and nerve gas. Again, uh, listed in no particular order. <laughs> exactly. I'd take the tear gas, <laughs> nerve gas over the tank, maybe. But a boxy student says, They're shooting people up against walls. All of the protesting students freak out and run in various directions. One big nose student goes, run for your lives. And the biggest boob student of all says, <laughs> it's every man for himself. While State University erupts into chaos, Fat Freddy runs all the way home. When he gets back to his apartment, he slams the front door and falls to the floor, which makes Franklin and Phineas quite a bit curious. Well, what did you do? Did you smoke grass in the student union? And uh, Franklin imagines Fat Freddy doing just this, holding a picket sign that reads legalized pot. <laughs> Phineas goes, maybe they took off their clothes. Uh, they took all their clothes off in the main hall. Uh, he imagines this scene. Uh, Fat Freddy and a female student are next to each other completely nude, and Fat Freddy is leering at her. She holds a picket sign that reads, that reads nude power, while he, his reads go naked. Those are those are T-shirt ideas, right there. <laughs> right, <sure>. uh, <laughs> now, Fat Freddy decides to play it off. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to the library to look for rare manuscripts to rip off. Spit! You don't know anything about books. You're probably looking for fork books. <laughs> off it! I'm twice as literate as you are. You couldn't think yourself out of a paper bag. As the two begin fighting, Free Will and Franklin fills the hookah from a bag labeled dope. And he says, it's clearly time to administer the euthanasia. The Freak Brothers sit around and each pull from the tube. Causing a forearm figure to rise from the hookah, Smokey the Dope written on his chest. Smokey goes, your wish is my command, oh master. So he hits Fat Freddy in the head with a hammer with a clang. An anvil is dropped on Phineas' head with a honk. And Franklin's gets clobbered by a bowling ball, which for some reason makes the sound effect tweet. They, they love those three They love the hang, clang, honk, tweet. I don't know what that is. <laughs> now, at the bottom of the page is the Freak Brothers Fun and Joke Corner. And in it, Free Will and Franklin share some wisdom. Smoking grass and drinking beer is like pissing into the wind. Is it? I don't think um, so, really, but okay. <laughs> now, there's a maze that's titled The Marijuana Map, which has Fat Freddy on one end and a cannabis plant on the other. We're asked, can Fat Freddy find the weed? The solution is right there on the same page. It shows a silhouette of Fat Freddy smashing through the maze walls irrespectively. Just, ah, just going crazy. <laughs> uh, then there's uh, snappy comebacks for all occasions and events. Uh, <laughs> this is a two-panel comic based on a story submitted by Ken Weaver in New York, New York. 
I was walking through the airport when his man remarked to his wife and kids, Ha ha! I can't tell if it's a boy or a girl! So I went right up to him and said, Why don't you suck my dork and find out? I wonder if that was the first time that joke was told, possibly. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, this one is untitled Disneyland Freak Brothers story, and in this, the Freak Brothers decide to get really stoned and go to Disneyland. Disneyland had a pretty strict dress code and appearance back then, uh, appearance code back then. Uh, it still does, by the way, but not as strict. So the guys clean up and put on their best clothes. First, they must go in through the clothing inspector, and they pass. Then they must go through the grooming inspector, and they all pass. Finally, they go through the attitude inspector, and the attitude inspector says Phineas has an attitude. When Phineas asks a question about it, the attitude inspector has Disneyland guards beat him up. Later, the three drive home, and Franken and Fat Freddy had a great day selling fake drugs to tourists, while Phineas looks like he had a term with a trash camp compactor. At the bottom of the page is a strip called Fat Freddy's Cat. Uh, it's about Fat Freddy's Cat, who, as you might imagine, is quite horrible. In this strip, Fat Freddy's Cat is mad that Fat Freddy never cleans his litter box. Uh, so the cat poops on Fat Freddy's pillow. Fat Freddy kicks the cat in the posterior angrily, uh, so for the next time, Fat Freddy's cat has a better idea, and that is to poop in his boot. Very good. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing works, you go to the other. Uh, the next story is an untitled one uh, that we're going to call the Freak Brothers Weed Scam. With their last $15, Franklin and Phineas send Fat Freddy out to score a lid of grass. Now, for those of us living in the 21st century, that means to purchase an ounce of cannabis. Now, Franklin also advises Fat Freddy not to get burned. Before, what do you think will happen? Uh, I wonder. Before meeting the drug dealer, Fat Freddy decides to hit the bar and have a couple of beers. Several hours later, he's drunk and only has only $7, so he finds a sleazy dealer peddling his wares. Fat Freddy offers him 7 bucks for an ounce. The dealer tells him a long sob story, but ultimately takes the 7 bucks. When Fat Freddy gets home, Franklin's furious to find that it's a bag of parsley, so he makes Fat Freddy eat every sprig of it. Phineas tells us, the reader, that parsley, administered in large doses, is an aphrodisiac, and the next day's newspaper headline, Mad Rapist Terrorizes City. I wonder if that's true, is it? Da-dum-dum. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I couldn't. <laughs> you know, I, first, personally, I think the, the concept of aphrodisiacs to be a bit serious, kind of silly. but that's, yeah. you know, that's a discussion for a whole different comic, I think. <laughs> uh, this next one is the untitled Freak Brothers Fat Freddy Screw-Up. Here, uh, after Fat Freddy makes an Italian dinner consisting of frozen pizza, frozen green beans, and Gallo Chianti wine. You know, Chris, I was thinking that might save you a lot of time on Thanksgiving. Yeah, If you go to the frozen, so. frozen green beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> the Freak Brothers decide they need to smoke some pot. The strainer used to clean the weed, however, is in the sink with the dirty dishes. This is really a pretty spurious story here. Uh, to clean cannabis is to separate the flowers or buds from the stems and seeds. Now, there are various implements you could you could use with to do this, uh, or you could just smoke it whole. It's not like the seeds are poisonous or anything. Yeah. Uh, but for the purposes of this story, Fat Freddy just has to clean his weeds. So he figures an easy way would be to put it out on a piece of paper in front of an electric fan. Now, the electric fan will blow the offensive particles away, leaving only the sticky icky. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) Fat Freddy switches the fan on, and all the marijuana blows out the window. 
And wouldn't you know it, it lands on the roof of a cop car. <laughs> so Fat Freddy runs out of the building and jumps onto the police car to collect his dope, and two officers notice what he's doing, and, he que- and they question him. Fat Freddy explains that he's a junior peace man, and he was merely cleaning bird poop off their car, and they seem satisfied with that explanation for some weird sure. reason. Before <laughs> he leaves, Fat Freddy remembers to give the officers the official junior peace man salute, which is to flip them the bird while walking away. Uh, At the bottom of the page is a one-off strip depicting a hippie who has been arrested and allowed one phone call, so he calls for a pizza delivery. Like you do. (laughs) Next story, it's an untitled one. Uh, The Freak Brothers' trip to Mexico, we're going to call it. Uh, Now, Phineas suggests that the Freak Brothers take a trip to Mexico for fun, and they grease their hair back to look a little bit more presentable. At the border, U.S. agents are fine with Fat Freddy and Franklin, but they make Phineas stay back in the U.S. Nobody likes Phineas. No, he always gets left out. <laughs> <laughs> now, Fat Freddy and Franklin have a good time in Mexico uh, with Phineas's VW Bug. Uh, Fat Freddy is in awe of all the cheap merchandise. Someone offers to sell Fat Freddy a kilo, or 2.2 pounds of pot, for $35. Now, Fat Freddy is game, but Franklin points out that they'd never make it past border security. Fat Freddy is still annoyed when he and Franklin get back to the border, and despite not having any contraband, the agents pull them out of the car and search them anyway. When Fat Freddy pulls off his boots, the odor is so rank that the agents just let them go. On the other side, they find Phineas, who says he just walked across the bridge and scored a kilo of weed for 25 bucks. So, (laughs) there you go. That's all they had to do. Uh, The strip at the bottom is, again, Fat Freddy's cat, and this time it has some connection to the main strip. While Fat Freddy was in Mexico, he locked the cat in his room, so Fat Freddy's cat gets revenge by pooping in his headphones. That is his go-to move, isn't it? Yeah, well, what else can a cat do? It's either, you know, poop poop or claw you while you're sleeping. That's pretty much it. That's it. So, uh, next one, untitled Freak Brothers Terrorism Strip. Freewheel and Franklin gets word that marijuana supplies have run dry in Nashville, Tennessee. So, and this is a pretty good service here, Chris. The uh, mm-hmm. Freak Brothers mobilized to fly several emergency kilos to the city. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like FEMA. Really? Kind of, right? yeah. <laughs> uh, now, once on the plane, a passenger with a gun takes a stewardess hostage and demands the plane be flown to Havana, Cuba. Phineas points out that this is bad news because weed is illegal in Cuba and they'll likely be searched. I thought uh, weed was illegal in America, too, Chris. Is that true? Yeah, maybe not for these guys, though. I, I, I just, maybe not. Yeah. Uh, now, then someone with a shotgun jumps up and demands that the plane be flown to Tangiers instead. Phineas points out that in Morocco, pot will be so plentiful that their stash will be worthless. Now, a third guy in a suit leaps up and takes the whole plane hostage with a machine gun and demands to go to Jordan. Phineas bemoans the fact that this means they'll be held as political prisoners, and the Arabs will probably smoke all their weed. But Muslims are traditionally drug-free, and it doesn't really make any sense. Well, look, I, I, I don't think this is a lesson in geopolitical accuracy. All oh, right, yeah, it's just you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to question <laughs> about this whole thing. Uh, at this, Franklin takes off all of his clothes, uh, holds up a bag in the aisle, and insists they fly to Nashville or he'll blow up the plane. And everyone listens to the naked guy. Hmm. Curiously, on di- disembarking, everyone in the plane just wants to Harold Franklin as a hero, and he just wants to scram and dispense the bounty as needed. Like, you think the cops would come to him, but I guess not. No. Um, uh, the Fat Freddy's cat strip at the bottom of this one has some local felines making fun of him because he just got a bath. They laugh and say he smells like a French whorehouse. Fat Freddy's cat beats the crud out of both of them, and one comments that he was the toughest, meanest hippie he ever saw. Mm-hmm. 
Next, we got the untitled Freak Brothers plastic sofa gag. Uh, in this, Phineas brings an inflatable couch back to the apartment, and it proves too difficult for Phineas to blow up for him by himself. Fat Freddy suggests hooking it up to his nitrous oxide tank, uh, and that plumps it up right quick. While the Freak Brothers are out finding some teeny boppers to ball uh, on their <laughs> on their new blow-up sofa, notorious Norbert the Narc sneaks into their apartment looking for the killer weed. Now Norbert cuts a small incision in the couch to check for a stash, but gets a face full of nitrous oxide instead. <laughs> now immediately Norbert the Narc thinks he's died and gone to heaven, and since he's in heaven, he won't need his pistol or clothes. Later, the Freak Brothers return to their pad to find the couch deflated. Seeing Norbit's gun on the ground next to it, they think he commi- they think it committed suicide. And then Norbit shows up at the police station, naked as a jaybird, remembering nothing. Boing. So, <laughs> yeah, so the untitled Freak Brothers drafted strip. Fat Freddy gets a letter in the mail one day. He is to report to the draft board. Fat Freddy was assumed the Army won't want anyone as <clears throat> wasted as he is. Mm. At the first checkpoint, he's told that they'll run that lard off his ass in two weeks uh, Fat Freddy has to strip down to his tidy whities for the rest of the examination At the next checkpoint, Fat Freddy informs him that he has fat, flat feet and a bad back But since he made it up a couple of flights of stairs to get there, he passes At the next checkpoint, Fat Freddy informs them of all the drugs he's done And it's a pretty long list the Army guy has never heard of these drugs, but suggests Fat Freddy could get plenty of aspirin in the Army. <laughs> then Fat Freddy tells him that he's a queer, which makes him a great candidate for their new homosexual battalion. Fat Freddy, still only in his underwear, sneaks out a window at the draft board. When he gets home, he tells Phineas to mark any more official mail for him as deceased. But, you know, they, I mean, they clearly have your address. Yeah. This is not the way to dodge the draft, right? You should be heading towards a border. You should be leaving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, don't just go home. <laughs> and that's the punchline. Yeah. Uh, next we have presenting the fabulous Furry Freak Brothers' new uh, favorite law enforcement officer, Tricky Pricky is the blind deaf cop. <clears throat> that is a one-page strip. It's a parody of a Dick Tracy comic, right down to the art style that attempts to mimic Chester Gould. As such, it begins with a Crime Stoppers panel, complete with advice on detective work. Uh, did we say Crime Stoppers? This is actually a Crime Stoppers Mein Kampf. And mm. the picture depicts an officer shooting a gun so that the bullet goes through all three heads of the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers. <laughs> the caption reads... Rookies, when dealing with hippies, radicals, and N-words, shoot first and ask questions later. Above all, don't let them get to their Jewish lawyers. Tricky prickiers. The opening panel shows Tricky Prickiers at his desk, holding a piece of paper. It's orders from the chief, and it's in Braille. Prickiers says, reading aloud, Put on enclosed special guest badge and address UN General Assembly on crime. Tricky Prickiers gets up and prepares to leave. He grabs his coat, yellow fedora, and white cane. I've never approved of the UN. I'll just tell them what I think of them. While Tricky Prickiers walks to the car that will take him to his speech, the commies on the police control board are watching him through a window, laughing heartily. He thinks he's going to the UN, but we actually gave him a Lester Maddox for president button and told the driver to take him to Harlem. Lester Garfield Maddox Sr. was the owner of a restaurant in Atlanta who refused to serve black patrons, and based on his nationally publicized experience, he ran for and won the office of governor of Georgia from 1967 to 1971 on a strong segregationist platform. 
How about that? Uh, well, Tricky Prickius finds himself at 125th Street and Lenox Avenue, the very heart of the Harlem neighborhood, uh, particularly in the early 70s. Uh, Lenox Avenue is called Malcolm X Boulevard today. In case you're looking to go to the location yeah. Tricky Prickius yes. was. This is exactly how I expected this place to smell. Tricky Prickius is accosted by a man wielding a knife. And he goes, let me go through your pockets, man. You U.N. security guards are really on your toes, aren't you? But didn't you see my badge? Tricky Prickius shows off his Lester Maddox pin prominently. Then he opens his coat, revealing a gun in a shoulder holster and a bona fide police badge. Would you like to see my credentials? The robber is so shocked, his hat flies off his head. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Tricky Prickius uses his white cane to find the stoop of an abandoned building. He walks up a few steps and begins to orate uh, to a uh, gathering crowd of locals. First of all, I'd like to say that we don't approve of you people being here in our city. You're nothing but a pack of shiftless liars and freeloaders. The crowd begins to grow larger. The world would be a better place if you would just hop on a boat and go back to wherever you came from. By the end, the crowd numbers in at least the hundreds, while Tricky Tricky is continues to rant and rave. Yeah, one guy says, I say, loud, I say one thing for that Lester Maddox, dude, he sure got a lot of nerve. Another guy goes, he must be some kind of mean motherfucker. And this one is signed by Gulbert Chesterton. I get that. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Next one is uh, Scenes from the Revolution, colon, the legendary dope famine of 69. Uh, This is just a scene depicted on a full page, kind of like a big splash panel. On the corner of St. Mark's Place and 2nd Avenue in New York City, which looks phenomenally filthy and strewn with garbage, a really strung out looking hippie with a pickle nose sits on the curb sweating. <sighs> no weed in a month. I guess I might as well accept that athletic scholarship to Notre Dame and study business economics after all. Two chubby shirtless kids are crying. What a time to run out of grass. Just when we were ready to graduate to the hard stuff. Wah! A guy with a hooked nose and wearing a tunic chats with an overweight blonde woman who is either shirtless or wearing such a thin shirt that she's practically shirtless. Yeah, he says, uh, I understand there are tremendous opportunities for advancement in the insurance business in Omaha. I'm going to get married and raise my family in Dallas. And a guy with an afro wearing sunglasses struts off the right-hand side of the page. Well, I'm going to join the Youth for Christian America and go campaign for George Wallace. George Corley Wallace Jr. was a four-time governor of Alabama and a hardline segregationist. He also ran for president of the United States three times, twice as a Democrat and once as an independent candidate. Mm-hmm. That brings us to another untitled story we're going to call The Untitled Freak Brothers Christmas Yawn. We start with Fat Freddy announcing that he's gotten a gig as Santa Claus at the local department store. He decides to get good and stoned before suiting up. Now, the first kid is... Charlie Brown from Charles Schultz Peanuts comic strip, uh, and he wants to uh, score a key. <laughs> the next kid is Nancy from Ernie Bushmiller's Nancy strip, and she just wants a couple of tabs of acid. Oh, not much there. No. Uh, next up is uh, is Dennis Mitchell from Hank Ketchum's Dennis the Menace. He wants a water pipe, a roach clip, and plenty of papers, uh, preferably licorice flavored. <laughs> Finally, one of the kids from Mel Lazarus's Miss Peach Strip. I can never get any of their names straight, so I don't know who it is. <laughs> one of the kids with a big nose, which is all of them. Yes. Uh, he wants a rolling machine, some strawberry incense, and a little hash pipe. At the end, the parents all ask Fat Freddy what their kids want for Christmas, and he tells them, uh, 
well, uh, a whole bunch of spit. Uh, later, when Fat Freddy gets home, he tells the others that he was fired because he couldn't bridge the generation gap. In another installment of Fat Freddy's Cat, the cat finds that his water bowl is full of dead bugs, so he decides to drink from the toilet. When the cat dips, yeah, that's what cats do. I'll tell you that my cat has done that. When the cat dips his head in, a battalion of cockroaches leap on the lid to trap him in the bowl, and then in a, in a, a general roach, complete with a special hat and saber, gives the order to fire. That is for all the roaches to jump on the flushing mechanism. Mm-hmm. Next, untitled Freak Brothers, Emil. Emil Nitrate is Emil Nitrate hijinks. Yes. <laughs> now, Free Will and Franklin buys five dozen ampules of a. Uh, Amule nitrate, nitrate, which is a powerful heart stimulant at the pharmacy. This is something you could do back then, apparently. Just buy them, you know, like that's, a, that's mm. the way it was in a long ago. Over folks. the counter. <laughs> yep. Now, uh, Franklin says there'll be great party favors at this year's Dope Dealers Convention. Uh, out on the street, two guys in a pickup uh, truck make fun of Franklin. They make fun of his hair, his cleanliness, all that good stuff. So Franklin calls them motherfuckers. And the two guys get out of the truck and beat him up. Franklin runs away and trips, falling to the ground. And he smashes all five dozen of uh, those ampules, and Franklin inhales them all, which somehow turns him into the Hulk. Uh, The last panel shows the two guys from the pickup truck beaten senseless and tied into knots, while freewheeling Hulk Franklin storms off in the background. Ta-da! Bada-bing. Uh, the untitled Freak Brothers telephone number goof begins with, uh, on the street, someone tells Fat Freddy to call Dealer McDope at a specific telephone number. Fat Freddy decides to repeat the number over and over to himself in order to remember it. And when he gets home, he doesn't remember it. Nope. Uh, but I gotta say, it's actually a better comic book storytelling than I. We see a lot of strange conversations tinged with number-based drug lingo and stuff to throw Fat Freddy off his game. But ultimately, this is a pretty old gag going back a long mm-hmm. time. For sure. Uh, next, we have the untitled Freak Brothers Dope Drought Yawn. One day, Fat Freddy looks into a can labeled Secret Dope Stash and notes that they are totally, completely out of dope. And worse yet, there's none for sale at any price. Come on now, Fat Freddy. There's always gasoline to huff. Sure. <laughs> but that was rationed, I think. Oh, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, Franklin says that it's time to unearth the dreaded surprise stash. Franklin notes that it's the leftover stuff that even depraved dope fiends like themselves wouldn't take. The stash contains three caps of something, and only one way to find out just what they are. So Franklin takes one capsule he says looks like LSD, but Fat Freddy wonders aloud whether it's from that batch of badass that caused everyone to freak out. Phineas takes a taste of something that he guesses is mescaline, and he consumes it. Fat Freddy muses that it could be part of that bad bad batch of mescaline that gave everyone strychnine poisoning. So there's one more pill left for Fat Freddy, but he doesn't want to chance the unknown and heads down to the bar for good old reliable beer. There, several well-known comic strip characters are hanging out like Dick Tracy, Popeye, Daddy Warbucks, why not? Fat Freddy goes to turn on the jukebox, but the other patrons get mad because the World Series is on television. So Fat Freddy just endeavors to play some billiards all by himself for some reason. Uh, He breaks a rack of balls, which sends one flying into the bar's television screen, smashing it during an important baseball play. Later, Fat Freddy returns home to find the other Freak Brothers tripping hard on drugs. He has been severely beaten and says that he hopes that the last mystery drug is codeine. You know, for pain management reasons, you say. There you go. Just in case you weren't sure what codeine did. There there it is. (laughs) Uh, Here's the untitled Freak Brothers Rock Festival gimmick. 
Fat Freddy reads in the paper about a three-day rock festival called Stone Gourd happening. He says he bets he can get in for free. Phineas says he'd better not get in for free since he already spent 18 bucks on a ticket. Later, they drive to the festival, which is ringed with a 20-foot-high electric fence. Fat Freddy tries to bluff his way in by pretending to be an A&R for Motown Records, but the security guard punts him away. Then Fat Freddy tries to get over the fence by scaling a porta potty just outside the festival. Once on the roof of the porta potty, Fat Freddy falls right through and into the toilet. A crowd gathers to look at Fat Freddy sticking out of the porta potty, and he asks if anyone will give him a hand, and they all applaud. Ah, oh, the classics. Of course. <laughs> now, Fat Freddy des- uh, finally decides to cut down a sapling and use it to pole vault over the electric fence. And he almost makes it over, but uh, gets hung up in some of the barbed wire and electrocutes himself. His wailing and screaming interrupts the performers on stage who want him unplugged, but instead, he's approached by an A&R from Motown Records about <laughs> signing him and putting on a record. So, ta-da. Uh, at the Fat Freddy's uh, cat strip at the bottom, the cat is menaced by feet. People walking everywhere, stepping on his tail and paws. So Fat Freddy's cat decides to find some refuge under a chair. Unfortunately, it's a rocking chair and his tail is under the rocker. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. Next up, Untitled Fa- uh, Freak Brothers, uh, Fat Freddy's Birthday Jam. And it's Fat Freddy's Birthday Today. Hey, today is my birthday. Let's have a party. I'll get a keg of beer and we can. No. Everybody will be drunk and start raising hell, and the cops will come and bust us. Oh, you're just paranoid. Cops never bust drunk parties anymore. Well, if if we had a party here, we'd be sure to get ripped off for everything that wasn't nailed down. Oh, you're just on some kind of capitalist piggy trip. If everyone was like you, nobody would ever have any fun. Fat Freddy curls up in the corner and cries to himself. Okay, let's have a party. But you have to help keep an eye on my stereo and records. Yay, I'll go get the keg. Fat Freddy gets his beer and driving home invites everyone over. Uh, Noting that the beer is free, uh, people are quite interested. Yeah, uh, it usually works. (laughs) Uh, Back at the apartment, Phineas is still pretty uptight. Remember, I'm going to be plenty pissed off if any of my equipment gets stolen. Look, I'm going to put a keg right here beside your hi-fi, and I'm going to stand right beside it all night. Is that all right? Good. So this party is well attended, and true to his word, Fat Freddy stands in the same spot, guarding the stereo all night. Eventually, the keg runs out and everyone leaves. Well, everyone is gone and all my spit's still here. Far out. I told you you wouldn't have anything to worry about. Let's smoke some hash. Fat Freddy sticks his hand into the stash jar to find it's empty. Uh Uh-oh. Hey, Mm. my stash is gone. Somebody ripped off my stash. A deranged Fat Freddy leans out of the window and screams to the world. Come back here, you ungrateful sons of bitches, and I'll kick your collective ass. Hey, shut the fork up. You'll get us busted. Fat Freddy throws a lodge and very loud tantrum on the floor. Phineas and Franklin look pretty miserable about it. Rat, rave, roar, snort, scream, wail, Franklin picks up the telephone. 
Hello, police. I'd like to report a drunken party on East 17th Street. Womp womp. And in Fat Freddy's Cat, Fat Freddy is enticed to buy Kitty Crunchies after watching a television commercial. But the cat hates him. This enrages Fat Freddy, but he is calmed by a commercial promising that women will love him if he drinks frog beer. Remember when there were beer commercials on television? It, I do. And they were on, like, all the time. Well, not the all the time. Day, but pretty much yeah. 8, 8 p.m. on? Or during sports, uh, during a sporting oh, events, sure. sports yeah. was nonstop. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, untitled Freak Brothers Stash Flushing Caper. Phineas reads in the newspaper that the U.S. Senate passed a law making it legal for cops to enter a home without knocking. This, of course, presents a problem for the fabulous Freak Freak Brothers. They run a drill uh, to time how long it will take to flush their whole drug stash. The Freak Brothers note that it takes 48 seconds between each flush, and there's at least six flushes worth of stash, but the door will only hold up for three or four seconds. So, Phineas decides they've got to booby-trap the hallway and entrance. He installs a tilting platform laden with bowling balls. Yeah, a bar at ankle level to trip someone into barbed wire at throat level. That's nasty. It is. A swinging dresser filled, filled with bricks. And finally, a big tray of water charged with 220 volts. Did McCullough Culkin buy these plans later on, do you think? Really he must have. Sounds yeah. familiar, a lot of this. Very familiar, <laughs> very familiar. Keep the change, you filthy animal. There you go. Uh, now, his work done, Phineas sends Fat Freddy down to the corner store to buy some zigzag rolling papers. And, of course, warns him to be careful on the way back inside. Fat Freddy leaves and reminds himself over and over to remember all the booby traps on his way back in. But this causes him to forget why he left in the first place. Fat Freddy rushes back in to ask the guys what he was getting from the store, and... Of course. Of course, he trips every trap in the process. Now, while he's getting shocked and clubbed, Fat Freddy yells out to his roommates not to flush the stash. In the apartment, Phineas is beside himself with how well the traps are working. He's like like sitting in the corner giggling over it, like, they work, (laughs) they work! It's great. (laughs) Now we have the untitled Freak Brothers gun gag. Now, reading the newspaper, Freewheel and Franklin notes that food prices are out of control. Phineas suggests that they buy a month's worth of food at once to avoid avoid inflation. Fat Freddy says that he's got a better idea. He snatches all the cash from Phineas' hand and runs out the door. A little while later, Fat Freddy returns with a shotgun. And as you might imagine, the other guys aren't really thrilled about this. Uh, Fat Freddy promises to be super careful with the gun for Sirius, and he also promises to eat whatever he kills. Later, Fat Freddy is skulking around the house with the gun, goofing off. He points it at Franklin, which makes him furious. Uh, Fat Freddy does some marching and gun shouldering and whatever. Uh, At one point, he drops the gun butt first on the ground and shoots it into the ceiling, and then a rat falls from the ceiling dead. Franklin says, you killed it, now eat it. In the last panel, Fat Freddy is eating some rat mush at Frank at Franklin and Force gunpoint. Uh, condiments of every kind are ringed around him. Hey, these roof rabbits aren't so bad once you get used to them. You sure you guys don't want any? We got any more ketchup? Now we go to the Freak Brothers' favorite 14-year-old runaway, Little Orphan Amphetamine. <laughs> now, you might have realized already this is a parody of the comic strip Little Orphan Annie. Uh, it's not quite in the style of Harold Gray, would you say? No. Uh, though the logo is spot on. I was really, the logo for Little Orphan Amphetamine, I mean, it, it's picture perfect. Uh, to it is. Orphan Annie logo. Uh, the characters in this also mostly don't have pupils in their eyes, though Annie's are all black. Maybe she's wearing sunglasses. I'm not sure what that's supposed to tell us. I'm not what, what that's about. But 
Uh, the Oaks opening caption reads, Genuine equality between the sexes can only be realized in the process of the socialist transformation of society as a whole. Mao Zedong, which I don't think Harold Gray would have put that Probably not. In his comic, either. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> so we see Daddy Warbucks, or who's whoever's supposed to be. He's kind of a bourgeois, uh, older guy, and he's wearing a peace sign medallion and a sweater, and looks all well-meaning, like a well-meaning jive turkey, I would say. <laughs> uh, there's modern art around him, even a mobile. Don't you get bored just sitting around the mansion all day, Annie? Why don't you go out and get a job? And he has this big afro, uh, red, we're assuming. We're assuming, yeah. Now, she's also wearing a tank top that answers any questions one might have about her boobs. That's right, yeah. She <laughs> says, oh, get fucked, daddy. I've had enough bells spit off a year. Annie and her dog, Grunt Cakes, decide to run away. Come on, Grunt Cakes. We're going to go live off the land. First, I gotta get my stash. <laughs> so Annie and her dog hitchhike on the open road. A big old Cadillac comes to a stop right away. Going to California? Sure, little girl. Hop in. Five minutes later, they're on the side of the road together, and the driver is raping Annie, but she just looks kind of bored by it. <laughs> it won't do you any good to cry, little girl. No one ever comes along this back road. Wow, man. Uh, what kind of forked up trip are you on? Oh, well, go on and do your thing. After a number of rides, Annie finally makes it to San Francisco, where she runs into a very dirty, huge-nosed guy with a gang vest advertising the Speed Fiends. Well, Grunt Cakes, here we are in San Francisco. There's a groovy-looking guy. Hey, you know any place where I can crash? This gentleman takes Annie to his pad, which is uh, filled with similar degenerates. Even Annie is taken aback here, and upon entering, she's jabbed in the leg with a hypodermic needle. <laughs> <laughs> this dude who looks like Joey Ramon goes, Hey, look at what I found. And then you know, one guy says, Always room for one more. <laughs> Another one goes, Yeah, do some smack and acid. Hey, you could come sit on my face. What you got in the bag? Everyone at the crash pad swarms on Annie and robs her. One, one says, Wow, yay, Dexamils. Hey, do you have $45 so we can go score some skag? Hey, I know a guy who might pay 20 bills to fork you, sweetheart. Wow, a phone credit card. Then these horrible people run a train on Annie. <laughs> Mercifully, we don't see anything too gratuitous. Uh, an odd moment of restraint for an underground comedy. I have to say, to. although that rape was pretty graphic, but uh, th this, 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 is, <laughs> this is much more of a restraint. Uh, one guy says, quit cleaning your fingernails with my works, man. You ever shot up birth control pills, beautiful? Ha, ha, ha! I laughed so hard, I spit in my pants! Let's cook up that big fat dog and eat it! Me next. This last guy might be the most horrible of he them all. He looks like he's melting. I mean, it looks really bad. I don't know <laughs> really gruesome. <laughs> now, later, while everyone is having a terrifying drug experience, uh, Annie makes a call to Daddy Warbucks. And she looks scared, and now she suddenly has pupils. I guess to show how scared she is. <laughs> she says, Daddy, Greg uh, Kicks and I need $400 so we could fly home and see my doctor and shrink. One and a half weeks later... Daddy Warbucks is standing around wearing a black turtleneck and thoughtfully smoking a pipe, minding his own business when Annie says, The trouble with you, Daddy, is you're a capitalist pig. Why don't you drop acid and get off your incredible power trip? 
Final caption reads, and so on. There it is. The old, uh, that's <laughs> parents and daughters. They just uh, can't get along. They just can't. Uh, next up, we got the Untitled Freak Brothers Thanksgiving Celebration. And in this one Thanksgiving, Fat Freddy decides they should have a traditional turkey. Phineas says it's inhumane and they should eat vegetables. But Franklin says it's okay to kill turkeys because it's God's punishment for making them just so stupid. <laughs> uh, Phineas, be- uh, bets Fra- fat- Phineas bets Fat Freddy that he wouldn't eat a turkey if he had to kill it himself. And uh, Fat Freddy takes the bet. Fat Freddy heads to the local turkey farm, and after assuring a farmer that he wouldn't be doing anything weird with the turkey, comes home with it. Phineas asks Fat Freddy how Fat Freddy can kill a defenseless creature. Fat Freddy says it's easy because the birds spit all over his car. Uh Fat Freddy goes out back and returns with a dead turkey. He says he killed it humanely by giving it an overdose of reds, which would be... Cicobarbital Or uh, sleeping pills Uh, Now after dinner the Freak Brothers are satisfied And Franklin asks Fat Freddy what he stuffed the turkey with Fat Freddy says he didn't have to stuff it Because it wasn't empty Now I'm not sure Chris The punchline here Well, So there's one very gross punchline Which is that he cooked the turkey with all the organs All the organs And they they ate all the organs uh, without knowing Which would have been interesting Or that it was filled with those reds yeah, and yeah, so the, they're basically going to die soon because they've. It ups taken, the tryptophan there. Yeah, they, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> they'll, they'll fall asleep and won't wake up. So anyway, that, I guess that one has two punchlines for the price. It of does one. very deep. Uh, in the Fat Freddy's cat strip at the bottom, he sees the turkey carcass on the table waiting to be taken. The cat decides to subvert everyone's expectations and leave the carcass alone, but then a battalion of cockroaches led by General Cockroach assemble and carry the turkey bones away, and Fat Freddy's cat gets blamed for it anyway. Mm-hmm. Now the next one is the untitled Freak Brothers Peach Peace March Flim Flam uh, Phineas reads in the National Hellraiser newspaper That there's a peace march in Washington, D.C. These guys read a lot of newspapers, huh, Chris? Almost exclusively They, yeah. they, they stay informed, I'll, I'll say that much mm-hmm. uh, Despite projected violence, the Freak Brothers hitch their way to Washington And they're quickly picked up by a guy in sunglasses driving a car covered in graffiti It reads, end police state it has a peace symbol on the car door, and at the back it says, Power to the People. Now, the minute they get into the car, the driver offers them some speed. He says there's a whole case of Molotov cocktails and dynamite in the trunk for them to use when the time is nigh. Fat Freddy is very impressed with this obvious revolutionary. Uh, Franklin and Phineas, however, aren't so sure. They make it to Washington, and the driver takes off to make a phone call and accidentally drops his wallet. The Freak Brothers examine the wallet, and just as Phineas and Franklin suspected... This fella's a cop. Uh-oh. While the driver calls his superiors to come do their bus, the Freak Brothers formulate a plan. Later, a severe-looking police sergeant in detail of very poor-side-looking officers are on the scene. When they uncover the explosives in the trunk, says the sergeant, that will justify sending a million National Guardsmen to quell this protest. When they open the trunk, however, the driver of the car from before is bound and gagged inside. The Freak Brothers are back home, content to watch the whole thing unfold on television. No word on what happened to that dynamite in those Molotov cocktails, though. Uh, they probably went to good causes, I assume. I think they went to good use, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have uh, next the untitled Freak Brothers Election Day happening. After being hypnotized by a campaign ad, Fat Freddy announces that they should go to the polling station and vote. Franklin thinks this is a waste of time. Phineas says it's their civic duty to vote. And besides, it'll be fun to freak them out down at the polling place anyway. 
Now they cram into Phineas's VW bug, they all head out to vote. Franklin says he's going to write in his own name for president, and Phineas says he needs to spell it right, otherwise it won't count. Cute little gag there. Yeah. Meanwhile, in a white brick house in suburban Birch County, some stereotypical right-winger white dudes are holding a meeting. These are the Americans secretly serving high-order law enforcement and subservience, and we leave it to you to figure out what that spells. A-S-O. You got it, yeah. The the suburbanites (laughs) determined that they need to protect their polling stations from anarchists and terrorists. All nine of them head out with guns raised and cram into a Buick. Later, they see Phineas's VW bug parked near the polling station, and the suburban guys figure to wait and ambush them. When the Freak Brothers are done voting and the Suburbanites can see that there's three of them, they decide to take off. And in doing so, they smash headfirst into a police car. The officer is cousins with one of the Americans secretly serving high-order law enforcement and subservience, and they decide to play it up as a heroic act. The next day, Fat Freddy reads that the uh, police foiled a bombing attempt in the newspaper. Fat Freddy muses that they must have missed the real action of the day. Uh, Fat Freddy asks Franklin who he voted for, and Franklin replies, What the fuck does it matter? And the uh, newscaster on the television confirms that law and order candidates won by a landslide all uh, all over the nation in uh, today's election. Yeah, so there ain't no point. You hear there, No folks. point. As for Fat Freddy's cat, he chases a fly around the house until he breaks a window jumping through it, and then Fat Freddy's cat lands in a garbage can where he's surrounded by flies. So you can't win for losing is the idea there. Mm-hmm. And now we got the untitled Freak Brothers gang warfare kerfuffle. Out of dope again, Franklin tells Fat Freddy to go out and score them a lid, and again admonishes Fat Freddy not to get burned. Fat Freddy is worried because the only place he knows to score grass this time of night is Ripoff Park. I assume it was named after that American Patriot Qu- uh, Quentin ripoff. Right? That's right. It had to be. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, or maybe one of his, uh, you know, ancestors. Um, Fat Freddy goes to the park, which is dark and foreboding, and before long, he's accosted by two men with knives. They tell him not to worry; they're drug addicts. Uh, <laughs> Fat Freddy says, "Damn it, I'm a dope addict too." <laughs> uh, the two muggers take off with Fat Freddy's money, but they're stopped by a larger group of guys with switchblades and. These are the Ripoff Park werewolves, and they take the mo- that money. Then, the, the Ripoff Park werewolves are accosted by the Ripoff Park pig forkers. The two gangs get into a massive brawl, ultimately killing each other. Fat Freddy wanders back to pick over the corpses, and he comes back home without any grass, but with some heroin, various pills, 16 switchblades, and a couple of 32 automatics, also a couple of bottles of Ripple wine, and some other assorted substances. Mm-hmm. So he, did he get burned or not? I, I don't, don't know. know. I think this is one time he didn't get burned. <laughs> he came out ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Next we have the untitled, untitled marijuana heist. Uh, now this one doesn't even have a Freak Brothers logo. Uh, it's so early in this run. Now after a 26-hour STP trip, Franklin and Phineas decide to raid old Skinflint Jackson's secret pot patch in the woods. It's dark and scary, especially to this hallucinating pair. Franklin leaves a trail of dexedrin pills so they can find their way back out. But then Fat Freddy comes ambling up behind them with arms full of dexedrin, uh, taking a mile a minute, uh, talking a mile a minute about his luck. Yeah, he obviously popped a couple of them and then uh, On the way, tried yeah. to keep the rest. So that's it. Little Hansel and Gretel for you. Anyway, then there's another half-page strip on the same page. Phineas comes running into the apartment to announce that the pigs have 1,500 warrants to execute before the end of the month. Franklin announces that they have to clean the pad. After much work, the apartment is spotless. 
Then there's some banging at the door. It's just Fat Freddy with three kilos of marijuana. He pours it out on a table and in front of an electric fan, and the pot all blows out the window. Also, he started the rumor about the warrant quota to lower drug prices. So, another mm. two, another two, two punchline special for you. <laughs> this one, uh, this is one actually one of my favorites as a kid that we used to laugh at. This uh, untitled Freak Brothers car horn laughs. Well, waiting in his VW bug for some slow pedestrian to amble across the, sh- the street, Phineas honks his horn. It goes bleep bleep, and all the pedestrians make fun of Phineas's car horn. So he decides to jazz it up a little. He attaches a public address speaker under the hood, a 400-watt amplifier in the back seat, and a tape player in the passenger seat. Phineas heads out for a drive, and a pedestrian is ready to make fun of his car horn again. But when Phineas hits it, it sounds like a truck accident, a train crash, and an atomic explosion. There you go. Boom. Then we got Fat Freddy's cat. In this one, a cockroach army sends out a bug for reconnaissance. It's captured and questioned by Fred, Fat Freddy's cat, who accidentally kills this cockroach. A cockroach officer informs the general of this roach's death and asks if they should sound the ceremonial taps. The general says, don't bother. There's a million more where he came from. That's it. War is hell. That's it. We've mm-hmm. got to press on. And then the untitled Freak Brothers waterbed mishap. Here, Fat Freddy brings home a waterbed, and he watches television while it fills with water. Of course, he forgets about it entirely, and it quickly becomes a massive problem. Meanwhile, in the apartment below, they're enjoying a makeshift light show by tying a dry cleaning bag in knots and lighting it on fire. You ever do this, Chris? I never heard of this. No, no. I wouldn't recommend it. Probably Uh, not, no. this, This causes the ceiling to ignite. Uh, that burns through Fat Freddy's floor, popping his waterbed and sending a deluge of water into the apartment below. And also putting out the fire, thankfully. Uh, later, Fat Freddy wonders why his waterbed isn't filled up, and he sees the burn mark on the bottom, decides to return it to the store. On the way out, Fat Freddy's neighbor tells him that there had been a fire, but the sprinkler system took care of it. And Fat Freddy didn't even know they had a sprinkler system. How about that? Now we got Fat Freddy's cat. Uh, The cockroach army is mobilizing across the kitchen. The general is advised that there are mice in the area. The general says that's okay. The enemy of their enemy, Fat Freddy's cat, is their ally. The mice eat a bunch of the cockroaches nonetheless. Uh, Now the general says that's fine. Plenty more where they came from. Again, the steely determination of war. Mm -hmm. It's simple numbers, folks. Anyway, um, (laughs) then the back cover, which of course this is also in four color. We didn't I don't know if we mentioned the front color. The cover's in color. The interior yeah. is all black and white. Uh, the back cover depicts the, depicts the effects of dope before and after. And before, the Freak Brothers were all Boy Scouts, but now they're the fabulous furry Freak Brothers. So <laughs> that'll tell you what dope. There is no hope in dope, folks. Uh, why do you think they call it dope for one, one thing for and sure. other uh Phrases like that, you know, but uh, we're gonna take a little break because boy, that was a much longer comic than we had anticipated for sure. And uh, when we come back, we're gonna finish up talking about Rip Off Press and talk a little bit about other drug laws in America. While we were students at UT, Jack Jackson created what was often referred to as the first underground comic, it was called. God knows. Uh, I, I, I think maybe Jackson had graduated by this time. He had a job at the state capitol. And he got the printers at the state capitol to, to print his underground comic book, God knows, secretly at night, one page at a time. And uh, 
So this uh, this comic, which w was later called by the student newspaper the Nadir of Bad Taste, uh, was actually printed in the Capitol in the basement at the Capitol building. Uh, this was a is often called the first underground comic, but actually I published earlier a collection of The Adventures of Jesus by Frank Stack. I, I just used his initials because by this time Frank had a job as teaching art at the University of Missouri in Columbia. And so I used his initials FS. So he made up a pseudonym to go with those initials, Fulbert Sturgeon, so, so that people would think it was me. And uh, he used that pseudonym for a long time and, until finally he took back his real name. Okay, so we are back to those fabulous furry freaksters, but, uh, or really first we're going to talk about the end of Ripoff Press. <laughs> uh, though sales of the comic book we just read were big for underground comics, going through five printings in three years, Ripoff Press went bankrupt in 1972, having overcommitted themselves to commercial jobs. This is why they, they stopped doing it after a while. Two of the company's partners went on to other things, leaving Fred Todd and Gilbert Shelton, who, re who reorganized the company as a publisher and stopped taking on these poster clients altogether. Gilbert, for his part, was more on the creative end of the work anyway, so this was really a uh, Fred Todd production. Uh, Larry Gonick published his cartoon history of the universe with Ripoff Press from 1978 to 1992, which lent the publisher an air of legitimacy, and now parents could put a Ripoff Press product on their children's bookshelves. You ever get this, Chris? I've seen it a you bunch see, of times, but I've never gotten it. It's like, it's like a common, you, you find that's a gift that uh, the kids got at age nine or whatever. Yeah. Uh, in 1979, Universal Studios paid Ripoff Press $250,000 for the rights to a fabulous furry Freak Brothers movie, which never materialized. But boy, they made good use of that cash. Yes, uh, indeed, Gilbert Shelton went on his first of many extended sabbaticals to Europe uh, before, as we mentioned, he relocated to France for good in 1984. Uh, Fred Todd and his wife, Kathy, moved, to the, moved the company to smaller quarters with operations in one building and the stock and surplus equipment in a big warehouse in the Bayview District. Now, in April of 1986, that warehouse burned to the ground following explosions from an illegal fireworks factory. This freed Ripoff Press of a 17-year accumulation of material goods, and in June of the following year, the Todds, along with their two young children, moved to rural Auburn, Auburn California. Although Ripoff Press continued to publish the fabulous furry Freak Brothers and the Ripoff Comics Anthology, the popularity of erotic comics in the late 1980s, early 1990s, led to such titles as Strips by Chuck Austin, The Girl by Kevin J. Taylor, Doll by Guy Caldwell, and S.S. Crompton's Demi the Demoness. They uh, published two music-related indie comics titles by Matt Haworth, uh, that was Savage Henry, and Those Annoying Post-Bros. This was uh, between the years of 1989 and 1994. After the collapse of the direct market in the mid-1990s, of course fueled in part by Marvel Comics' withdrawal of its 40% market share from the distribution system to go all in with Heroes World, you can check out our Weird Comics History episodes on the direct market for details, uh, Ripoff Press began taking steps to cut costs and gradually retreated from publishing altogether. This forced the Todds to get day jobs, and the company has been operated out of the Todds' former carport since 1999. 
Revolve Press launched its first website in 1996 and went online with its first secure commerce site in mid-1997. In 2009, the corporation was dissolved with publication rights of the Freak Brothers reverting to Gilbert Shelton and the Ripoff Press name, website, and stock being turned over to the Todds. You can visit Ripoff Press at ripoffpress.com, where they're selling lots of original underground comics ephemera along with back issues and reprints, or call them at 530-885-8183, toll-free inside the U.S. only, 889-78-83049, or send them old-fashioned mail at P.O. Box 4686, Auburn, California, 95604, or email them at at mail at ripoffpress.com. I don't know why all go. that contact info is there, but there you have it. There it is. <laughs> now, uh, with that behind us, let's learn a little bit about uh, some drugs, uh, the, this, this, particularly the history of drugs in, the, in these United States. Yeah, we only it's, went for the big four here, by the way. Yeah. We know there are a lot of different drugs out there, but we don't know what and, they and are. Variations so. <laughs> and variations. <laughs> now, we're going to start with cocaine. Now, for many years, cocaine was a legally distributed substance and an active ingredient in a number of products in the United States. The drug was first labeled as a pharmaceutical for those with low energy and as an energy-boosting supplement for athletes, and it was sold as such throughout the 19th century. By the turn of the 20th century, cocaine could be found in many products, including, of course, Coca-Cola and even margarine, and was regularly prescribed as a cure-all for ailments ranging from morphine addiction to asthma to tuberculosis and even hay fever. It actually did cure the symptoms of two of those things. Yeah, I'll leave you to guess which two they are. <laughs> Eventually, the reports of cocaine addiction raised concern that the drug posed a serious threat to the health and safety of its users. Local and state lawmakers began to restrict cocaine use, and eventually the federal government stepped in to curb drug abuse, including cocaine, with the passage of the Harrison Act of 1914. The law banned non-medical uses of drugs such as cocaine and required health professionals to register for tax stamps and keep records of the drugs they prescribed to prove the legitimacy of their diagnoses. Now, after cocaine was banned, the drug largely went off the radar, except for a relatively minor blimp during the blip during the Prohibition era. It wasn't until the late 1970s that the drug regained popularity. The drug first became a trendy choice among America's elite. By the mid-80s, however, the average street price had significantly declined, and more than 6 million Americans were using cocaine on a regular basis. The widespread use of cocaine and other drugs in the 1980s culminated in some historical changes to national drug policy. President Ronald Reagan labeled drugs America's number one problem and cited the growing problem of crack cocaine as the primary target for anti-drug legislation and enforcement. First Lady Nancy Reagan bolstered the crusade with her Just Say No campaign, and the media joined her with fervent coverage of crack cocaine abuse and resulting tragedies. In 1986, President Reagan signed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act to enforce strict mandatory minimum sentencing for drug users and increase the federal budget for supply reduction efforts. Two years later, Congress strengthened measures to restrict cocaine use and sales with the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1988. These laws imposed more serious penalties for crack cocaine than powdered cocaine. Today, pharmaceutical cocaine is classified as a Schedule II drug by the Drug Enforcement Agency, meaning the drug possesses high potential for abuse, but is currently accepted, albeit severely restricted, medical use, usually in anesthetics and stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, a person trafficking 500 to 5,000 grams of cocaine, the powder version, or 28 to 279 grams of cocaine base, that's the crack cocaine, can uh, receive a 5- to 20-year prison sentence for a first offense. 
Uh, not, not too bad, but uh, that's uh, right in line with opium, which mm-hmm. is something the United States largely legally imported uh, for more than 100 years. Now, opium is a dried, sappy substance harvested from the opioid poppy seed pod, and it's a raw form and had a long been used as a pain reliever, like going back to Sumerian times, uh, you sure. know, used. Several of its component alkaloid substances, which include morphine, codeine, and thebane, would uh, eventually serve as building blocks for many household drugs, including those for diarrhea, insomnia, bronchitis, and psychosis. By 1858, it was reported that 300,000 pounds of opium came to America each year. The American Civil War was the turning point for widespread abuse of opiates in the United States. Opium-based drugs, including morphine, provided powerful relief for veterans suffering from physical pain and mental illness. In 1895, pharmaceutical giant Bayer released a new drug more powerful than aspirin and, quote, safer than morphine that was marketed over the brand name... Heroin. Hmm. <laughs> By 1903, heroin abuse rose to alarming levels in the United States, igniting concern from the federal government. The Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906 mandated that manufacturers disclose the contents of their products, specifically so consumers could find the ones with opium in them. That's why you know how much cholesterol and fat is in your you know, <laughs> stuff is because of opium. Uh, a few years later, Congress passed the Opium Exclusion Act, which banned opium for the purpose of smoking. The first steps to curb opium traffic took place in 1909 when President Theodore Roosevelt called for an international conference to control opium movement across international borders. The resulting agreement restricted the use of opium overseas while doing nothing to control its use in the United States. Now, it wasn't until the Harrison Act in 1914 that opium sale and use was restricted at a national level. Near the start of World War II, oxycodone was first introduced to the U.S. market. A few years later, another synthetic opioid, hydrocodone, began being marketed as the, in the U.S. as an FDA-approved narcotic analgesic. Despite their availability, many doctors were leery of prescribing opiates because of the known risks of dependence. After the Vietnam War, opiate use surged again as recreational drug abuse hit an all-time high and heroin use spiked among veterans. The federal government responded by passing the Controlled Substances Act in 1970 and the establishment of the Drug Enforcement Agency in 1973 to restrict access to opiates. Throughout the 1970s, doctors continued to avoid writing prescriptions for opioid medications. But by the 1980s and 90s, there was a push for better pain management among medical researchers. In 1994, Purdue Pharma began testing OxyContin, which is an extended release version of oxycodone for long-term pain management. In 1998, Purdue Pharma released an advertisement that depicted people who found relief from chronic pain by way of OxyContin. A year after the ad came out, opioid painkiller prescriptions jumped by 11 million. That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Now, the push for pain management continued in 2001 when the Joint Commission set a standard for all physicians to to assess the level of pain among their patients. The Joint Commission circulated educational materials and and a printed book that asserted, there is no evidence that addiction is a significant issue when persons are given opioids for pain control. 
<laughs> Something about the wording of that. Doesn't that seem funny to you, Chris? Seems like a weird way to say that phrase. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, we're taking a nice trip through yeah. uh, through the language there. Yeah, if you are prescribed, and if you anyway, but uh, on a Thursday, yeah. <laughs> by uh, 2014, opioid abuse had become a national problem. Nearly two million Americans abused or were dependent on prescription opioids, and many had turned to heroin as a cheaper alternative to prescription medications. In 2016, President Barack Obama signed the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act to address the opioid epidemic. The law authorizes more than $180 million each year in new funding to fight the opioid, opioid epidemic in the form of prevention, treatment, recovery, law enforcement, criminal justice reform, and overdose re- re- reversal. Today, synthetic opioids, including heroin, illicitly manufactured phenytoin, uh, fen- f- fent- fentanyl, fentanyl, yeah. and certain fentanyl analogs are classified as Schedule One drugs. An individual trafficking uh, an individual who's trafficking 40 to 399 grams of fentanyl or fentanyl. I, that's a word I've read a million times. I never, <laughs> I never had to about. say right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 10 to 99 grams of fentanyl analog or 100 to 999 grams of heroin is subject to between five and 40 years in prison. Kind of a big gulf there, don't you think? That's a you know, wide uh, breach I'll there. take the five years. That, that, <laughs> if, uh, is there a choice? I mean, what is, how does that work? <laughs> right. We just flip a coin. Uh, now, on to a, another drug here. We've got marijuana. Much like cocaine and opium, marijuana was a popular ingredient in many medical products sold in the late 19th century. It wasn't until the Mexican Revolution in 1910, when Mexican immigrants arrived in the United States with marijuana in tow, that recreational marijuana use took hold. And as uh, instability mounted during the Great Depression, fear of Mexican immigrants escalated in tandem with anti-marijuana sentiment from the public and government. Indeed, it's the reason we call it marijuana and not its scientific name, cannabis. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 1931, marijuana was outlawed in 29 states. And cannabis. Both both things were outlawed. Probably, yes. Uh, In 1937, the federal government took action with the Marijuana Tax Act, a law that criminalized marijuana possession and sale. More severe measures followed in 1952 with the passage of the Boggs Act, which enforced mandatory sentences for offenses involving a number of drugs, including marijuana. The first offense at that time for marijuana possession carried a minimum sentence of two to ten years. Wow. Now, in the 1960s and 70s, drug use escalated with the counterculture and the free love era. When Congress passed the Controlled Substances Act in 1970, which established categories for various drugs, marijuana was classified as a Schedule I drug, the most restrictive category. In 1972, President Richard Nixon appointed a bipartisan commission to evaluate laws surrounding marijuana. The commission determined that personal use of marijuana should be decriminalized, but Nixon rejected the recommendation. The commission's findings were taken seriously by state lawmakers, however, and 11 states decriminalized marijuana after the commission published its report. In the 1980s, public attitudes shifted again when President Reagan championed the war on drugs. In 1986, when President Reagan signed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, he raised federal penalties for marijuana possession and dealing. In 1996, California became the first state to legalize the possession and use of marijuana for medical purposes. By 2013, 19 other states had followed suit with laws that permitted the use of marijuana for medical purposes. In 2012, Washington and Colorado became the first states to approve recreational use of marijuana. 
Today, eight states have approved marijuana for recreational use, including Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, California, Maine, Massachusetts, and Nevada. Washington, D.C. has also legalized recreational marijuana use, but has not established parameters for its commercial sale as of yet and may never. Uh, the federal government maintains its firm stance on marijuana trafficking, imposing penalties when dealers cross state lines. The first offense for trafficking 100 to 999 kilograms is 5 to 40 years in prison. They love that golf, don't right. they? I'll take that five. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, every time, if, they, if you give me the, the choice. And finally, on our uh, tour through drugs in America, we got LSD. This is also lysergic acid diethylamide. It was created in 1938 by Swiss scientist Albert Hoffman for pharmaceutical corporation Sandoz Laboratories. Now, uh, he ingested the drug accidentally and, during a bicycle ride home, discovered that it produced vivid hallucinations. The drug eventually found its way to the United States when the CIA conducted LSD experiments to better understand mind control and the drug's effect on manipulating behavior for interrogation purposes in a widespread program called MKUltra. Ooh, that could be a show on its own. Oh, sure boy, it is. good. Yikes. <laughs> now, after military interest in LSD decreased, the psychiatric community began testing the drug for possible therapeutic treatments among epileptic and depressed patients as well as alcoholics. The first groups to use LSD for non-therapeutic purposes were those who received the drug from psychiatrist friends. Thus, only a small number of people experimented with the drug throughout the 1950s. Aldous Huxley and Allen Ginsberg have claimed to be part of this group. Yeah, and a few others. I think Ken Kesey, pretty much all the heads of the 60s heads, all were yeah. there. Uh, also, you know, Chris, I think we did actually cover some of MK Ultra when we did Monster. I think we? you're right. Yes, end. we did. I remember we, I, did. we dug up some creepy stuff there. Uh, the drug was popularized, this is LSD we're talking about, in the 1960s during the counterculture movement. Two groups played a heavy hand in popularizing LSD. The League for Spiritual Discovery, led by former Harvard professor Timothy Leary, and the Merry Pranksters, somewhat led by Ken Kesey, and whose antics are chronicled in the memoir The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test by Tom Wolfe. The League for Spiritual Discovery focused on academic experiments related to human consciousness, while the Merry Pranksters hosted LSD-fueled parties at which the Grateful Dead played their earliest shows. These parties helped shape the psychedelic art and acid rock music now associated with the Summer of Love in 1967. In 1968, out of growing concern of the dangers posed by the drug, Congress passed the Staggers-Dodd Bill, making it illegal to possess LSD. In the 1970s, LSD was categorized as a Schedule I drug, and in the 1980s, mandatory sentences for LSD possession were sanctioned. LSD used to climb during throughout the 1970s and into the 1980s, but the drug regained popularity in the 1990s within the rave subculture. Today, the drug remains a Schedule One drug, and a person trafficking between 1 and 9 grams of LSD is subject to 5 to 40 years in prison for a first <laughs> offense, but 9 grams. Uh, and I, I mean, that's like, that's like nothing, you know what I mean? Like, although it is a lot of LSD when, of you, LSD, when, you, when sure. you get down to the portioning of it, but... Uh, but but uh, I know that's the, the, this. You know, this is not meant to be. We we don't do political shows. We don't no. do uh, that kind of thing. But you can't read these statistics and not say it's staggering. That's yeah. a little weird. You know, <laughs> like uh, that's a little strange. But anyway, that's a discussion for another another. Uh, 
podcast entirely, I think. We just, all we do are the drug comics. That's all we handle here, that's folks. It. That's it. So, uh, <laughs> that's as heavy as we get. Yeah. Uh, so that was it, you know, and, and I, for me, Chris, this brings back so many stupid memories of being like 10 <laughs> and just reading this. But, you know, you know what this also reminded me of a lot, uh, reading it this time, uh, which had been the first time in well over a decade, I bet now. Uh, so it's so much like the young ones. Oh yeah, you know absolutely. it's it's like a it's like a three man young one. They're all slovenly. They're hard, you know the the young ones don't have the drug content as much. They have you know a little bit, but uh, it's the same kind of thing. Just like three guys, three bums around an apartment yep. get, getting into hijinks. So uh, I enjoy it. It's a good time. Yeah, that's a good time. A, I've never read this before, so this is a this is all interesting stuff. I, I've seen a lot of it in the uh, in the bins. Yeah, but I've uh, but it, it's weird because uh, like. I don't just go to the comic store for for the comics. I'll go to like uh, like record stores, right. and if 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 there's a you know twenty teens approximation of a head sh- of like a head stop head shop, you know, yeah, it's uh, that's where I find a lot of comics. And so, the underground stuff is always like really really priced high. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could find you know the the first appearance of of Gambit for a dollar, but a you know Fat Freddy's Cat number three is going to be twenty five bucks. It's it's weird. Well, you know you know why some of that is I believe is because of that fire that took out yeah, so yeah, much of their inventory. Did, uh, it, the inventory. It actually did drive up the uh, the prices of of the actual comics. I was uh, sure. Th- there's a there's going to be a you know break here where I, I have a little bit of an interview with Gilbert Shelton and he mentions. That uh, that first book that they published, uh, I can't remember what it was, the Jesus something or other. Who's it's yeah. you know, uh, a copy of that goes for ten thousand dollars today, because the initial run was 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 probably pretty small, and then once them burned up, all the you know all the, all the ones that are in the world are all they'll ever be. So it's uh, if you want to get into that collecting, folks, that's uh, for you to do. It's a lot of money. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Now, and uh, before we jam out, we definitely want to thank our uh, our lovely, brilliant, handsome, sexy patrons. That's right. You know, yeah, all we... of uh, all those uh, all those fine folks out there that help us out, and uh, and we do these extra ones for you. And we hope you guys are enjoying the extra stuff here, uh, as we're enjoying doing it because this is stuff that we wouldn't normally do. Yeah, this we would not cover this on the main show. Just too no. too many drug references. To uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty much all it is, really. <laughs> you know, it. that's, that's the content of it, but. But uh, there's more stuff coming up, including we have ideas for doing comics that uh, really, um, I can't really, I don't know how to say it, but they might be offensive. To they may disturb. To, might be disturbing. Uh, we have we have a lot of ideas for comics that aren't nice all the time. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. just, it's all part of the milieu, you know, the, the tapestry yes. of comics. The, the darker that's, side, yes. That's what we're, that's all we're trying to show here. So, uh, if, of course, if you want to contact us, you know where to get us, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Hit us up on Patreon, Twitter, however you like to do it. We always mm-hmm. want to hear from you guys, hear what you think, and if you have any ideas for what you want to hear in the future, just get let us, us know. Yeah. Let us know, please. But uh, I think that's all we got from this month. Chris, got anything else for him? That'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, we want to keep it on the treadmill freakishly. See ya. I like marijuana, you like marijuana, we like marijuana too. A marrow, marijuana, marrow, marijuana, marrow, marijuana, marrow, marijuana. I like marijuana, but you like marijuana. I want to be a hippie girl.